All right, welcome back. So we have a new guest here. It is Tim from Online Big Blue Sports. I started watching Tim maybe a few months ago. Loved his honesty. I think he's a great dude and he knows his stuff. So Tim, welcome to the channel. Well, you must be too nice because if you think I'm a good dude, you got some serious problems. <laughs> you haven't watched enough. Well, yeah, still. I appreciate honesty. Yeah, so. I, pre I appreciate you having me on, though. Of course, no problem. Um, yeah, so mostly we're going to talk about the Giants offseason and what we expect. Of course, there's some big contract discussions for two of our main players. We're going to touch on the draft and all those sorts of things. And if you guys like this duo, then maybe we'll do a live stream down the line because I know people may like that, so we'll see what happens. But anyway... All right, so the first thing, let's talk about Isaiah Hodgins. That happened a couple hours ago. He gets this contract extension. It was called an exclusive rights free agents deal, right? So you know more about contracts than me. What the hell does that mean? How much is he getting paid and all that type of stuff? You know, it's funny. I, I, this is, uh, I saw it come up on Twitter when I was driving, and I actually do not know the details. I have not, uh, I have not seen the contracts um he he was he of course it was a uh, he was an unrestricted free agent when we picked him up uh during the uh, during the latter excuse me latter half of the season um so i mean like i said i would have to really just i'm trying to i you know what i'm doing the typical thing that you do on youtube everything else i'm googling it right now to see exactly what what he signed for um and and see exactly and see exactly where he's at i mean it's one of those things that he's 24 years old he had what um 33 receptions, I think, for 350 yards. Yeah, and he was, he's a former, of course, he's a former Bills player coming back. Uh, I think he was a, I think he was a sixth round pick. Something um, like that. Yeah. Something like that. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, did you really think you were going to get anything out of him? Did you really think that when the Giants signed him? Because we had the dangerous David Sills, you know, and, yeah. And yeah. He, he is, you know, coming out of West Virginia, the former quarterback who we had waited, I don't know how many seasons. It's been a while, right? I kind of gave up on him myself. I mean, you know, <laughs> at what point do you just give up? So when you when the Giants sign these ancillary players, you kind of wonder: is it going to be? Is it is it good? Is it going to be? Uh, is, is it going to be something that we we don't know? Is it going to be that thing? I always I always tune it to the Knicks. How the Knicks? I know you're a Nets fan. How the Knicks used to go out and sign former first round picks, and they were going to fix them. They were going to make them better. Um, yeah. They, they were going to go from there. And I do see he signed an exclusive rights uh, free agent contract. Uh, that's basically for any guy who hasn't had three seasons under his belt. And it's an expiring contract. So um, so it's, it's usually based on the league. It's usually based on the league minimum or it's based on how many seasons he's played in the league and how many games. So I'm, I'm not even exactly sure how many games um, he has played outside the Giants. I think, that, I think this is just – I think that's really his um, – bulk of work came this last season he might have played last year a bit i'll effort that real quickly but it, it definitely wasn't much i mean it might have been two years i mean he did play he was on the roster in 21 for the bills but he didn't really get any stats he had no stats last year so couldn't tell you how many games he played but no stats and then of course this year he had 41 yards with the bills and then played the rest of the games with the giants and had some success with the 351 yards as you mentioned four touchdowns so yeah i mean he deserves it i mean the, the conversation really is like, what do you think his ceiling is? Because we kind of did this with Darius Slayton a few years back and people were like, oh, he's a wide receiver one. And I'm like, he might be a two. Let's calm down here. So with him, I kind of feel the same way. Like, I, I feel like his ceiling is probably a wide receiver two, but I look at Hodgins as a wide receiver three right now. But where are you at? You know, it, it was funny because when uh, beginning of the season and I, and I did a couple of videos about it, I, I, 
was extolling the virtues of why Darius wasn't on the field because I couldn't figure it out. I, and yeah. I couldn't figure out why he was in the doghouse because I do think he is a true number two. Um, and I even said, you know, I, I don't think he's a number one, just like I don't think Sterling Shepard's another one, number one, but he's a good guy to have on the field. He's a guy that can get you the yards. He can move the sticks. Um, with the small sample we, we've seen from Hodges, I, 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 I think it's hard. I've seen too many wide receivers, and I've been watching football since 76. So I've seen too many wide receivers come into the league, have big – not big or have a good to average season for a short period of time and then flame out the next year. I've always talked yeah. about the fact that when you come into the league, when the, when the league, when you play an extended period of time after not, the league does not have film on you. So they don't know your tendencies. Yep. So as soon as they got film on them, now the league is going to know, okay, on third down, he likes to do this. He likes to cut his route this way. So it's going to be different. That's why we say you can never judge a draft class until after year three, because year one, you usually take it by storm. Most of the time, year two, you go you have the sophomore you know, slump because the league has figured you out and had to film year three. You should figure out by them what you need to do from year one to two to three to improve yourself. And then you'll prove that you're a player. Now, of course, yeah. that you know, players have gone on to year four and been excelled. But I, I, I get leery because I don't want to overhype somebody. But then you also don't want to be referred to as negative uh, <laughs> by, by pointing out some flaws and some tendencies in his game because the fact that when you have a limited wide receiver base that we did and someone comes in and performs above average, sometimes that expectation goes up a little higher than maybe it should. That's a big thing. Yeah. I think we even feel that way as like an entire fan base because of having like, you know, terrible seasons for the past five years and we finally get a bit of success and we're just like, this is amazing. It can't go any worse than this. And, you know, we think it's going to go keep going up. So I completely get how you feel about that. Um, but yeah, as I said, for me, wide receiver three type guy. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I just think like he's the right. type of guy you can put on the outside. This team still needs a guy. I mean, we thought it was going to be Galladay at one point. I don't know if you like, did you like that signing or no at the time? Oh, no. I see so you haven't been listening because I have uh, <laughs> I use sound effects, people that do watch. And I have the smooth sounds of Kenny G. And it's basically smooth sounds of Kenny G. 72 million, not worth it. Like you plainly see. And, and I said that the day they signed them. Because and I got so much crap for it because of the fact that I said I don't like signing because of the fact that you heard rumblings out of Detroit, you you heard rumblings that he could have came back from the hit pointer, but he was just trying to cash in on his contract, which I understand. As, as yep. a player, you want you want to make your money. Uh, that he's a little bit disgruntled. That he had all most of his touchdowns in one season, which I believe he had ten in one season, and he's playing in a dome and he's playing with Matthew Stafford. Right. I mean, all those things you take it away, you put him outside. You put him outside. In MetLife with Daniel Jones and the offensive philosophy we had, what the hell could have gone wrong? Yeah, Nothing. I mean, it, was, it was never a it was never a recipe for disaster. He had a lot of things like going right for him, though. I think Stafford was the perfect quarterback for him because he just has that rightful arm, gets it in the tight windows. Like that is a Galladay type quarterback, and I feel like Jones like is better with separators. Like I think we've seen that throughout his career so far. Jones is not really a guy who's going to give you the 50-50 ball. We kind of complain about that sometimes because he doesn't give them to Slayton enough. And Galladay never even had a 50-50 ball, did he, with Jones at quarterback? I mean, he had one with no, Davis no. Webb, <laughs> the with, final with, game. With, with with Davis Webb, yeah. And you know what the thing is also? I have friends that live in Detroit. They're big Detroit fans. And I mentioned this a couple times. And I called them up and I said, hey, we got Galladay from you. Yeah, we got Kenny G. And he was like, so? <laughs> I, was like, I, was, I was expecting more of a reaction for getting baby Megatron. 
Yeah. Baby Tron. There you go. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nickname from the past. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It went like as the, the worst way possible, to be honest with you. I mean, four years and like $72 million. And, you know, he gave like his first season here wasn't awful. He might have had like 500 yards, didn't find right. the end zone, but just severely underperformed what he was supposed to do. And I give him credit because like this year he could have been way more outspoken. He was after week two, I think in the Panthers win. But aside from that, he kind of kept his mouth shut and was a professional about it. But when you're collecting that much money, it's probably not too hard to keep your mouth shut either. But anyway, they need but to find know, a guy, you know, but here's the thing about that. And I go to the majority of the games. Yeah. The majority of the home games. And I will tell you this, and I have to give Kenny G credit because he takes so much abuse from the Giants fan. And I'm not, and I'm, I, my seats are in like the 12th row. Like I'm right on the 50 yard line. And there was a, there was a game. I think it was the Texans game that he played a handful of plays and he dropped the pass. The drop. Yeah. yeah. And there was a guy that was, there was not a guy, a group that were unmerciless against him. And I mean, from the second quarter to the fourth quarter, you heard about how much Kenny sucked. And I, <laughs> and at one point in time, you were hearing it like every 15 seconds. Right. And and as someone that's been on the field, you you hear these things, especially if you hear them repeatedly over and over again. And he, you know what? I got to give him credit. He took he took it in stride. He you know he never flipped anyone off. He never did anything. He never moved. And I, I, I why I do not like him as a player for the Giants. I respect him as a professional. Yeah. For what he did, just for the season alone, because it has to be a difficult season because of the fact that. If you think about it this way, his whole job, his whole career, his whole build up to his aspiration since he was in Pop Warner was catching the football. Right. Now all of a sudden you can't catch it. <laughs> I, I go I go to the Mets analogy with the uh, the catcher Mackie Sasser who could never throw the ball back to the pitcher. He would triple <laughs> and then throw it back. I mean, it's like, and that's something you need to do when you're a catcher and you're a wide receiver. You got to catch the damn ball. But with Galladay, do you think it was more just like wrong team wrong fit or was his hip like that messed up where he was just not the same guy because there's probably a lot of different reasons it didn't work out but like was it just majority injury or just other factors that we're not really I, talking about i think it's the wrong team wrong fit really okay. and i think it was the giants competed against themselves yep um he if you're a free agent and i always love telling the story you're a free agent like kenny was and he went to visit he went to MetLife. He went. He went for his visit. He wouldn't leave. A little sleepover. Yeah. The story is he would not leave. If you have other people bidding for your services and you're not leaving the building, that means you don't have anyone else. Yeah. And then what's his name? Curtis Samuel set the market at 36 million with Washington, and then you pay this guy 72, and you know for a fact that your quarterback going into year three is coming off a bad season, coming off an injury. And he's coming in after playing with Stafford. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it it was, and then you have Jason Garrett, and I and I've said this before. I think the edict came down from Joe Judge that we are not going to let Daniel Jones beat us. We're going to limit his turnovers, but we're also going to limit the big play capability because of the fact that we do not want the turnover to be the reason why we lose the game. And that's a bad recipe when you are a guy that's who's makes his forte on the 50-50 ball who doesn't have tremendous speed doesn't get separation as it is. And you have a quarterback who has an issue throwing his wide receivers open. So, I mean, it was a recipe for disaster from day one. That's a great point. Yeah. I didn't even think about that part of it. Like I kind of hate what they did with Daniel Jones, going back to Jason Garrett, Joe judge. Like, like I think rookie year, Daniel Jones was my favorite version because yes, there was a crap ton of turnovers and you can't have that many, 
But the amount of shots that were taken downfield when Sherman was here, I was like, I can get behind this because at least they're trying to push the ball downfield. The last two and kind of even this year, although they use his legs more, it's been more of just like, don't turn the ball over. That's all we're asking you to do. Don't, don't make any risky throws. And like, it's tough to win that way. I mean, we did it because we had Saquon and DJ ran for 700 yards. It worked out on the ground, but it's so hard to consistently win in today's league if you can't push the ball down the field on explosive passing plays. And the Giants didn't have that, whether it was because the lack of receivers or Jones not pushing the ball down the field or the Giants not calling specific plays. It's just tough to you know keep that up. So I'm hoping that changes going forward if they do, in fact, add some wide receivers. What worries me is the fact that this, with Shermer, and everyone talks about the Shermer season. Everyone talks about the Shermer season. Shermer, Shermer is one of those guys. He's like Joe Bugle. He is a great coordinator. He's a terrible head coach. And he's always he's probably always going to be that way. And he always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And if he wins, his his he you know his gas doesn't stink. And when he loses, it's everyone else's fault. But yeah, one of the yeah. brilliant things that Shermer did, and if you go back and watch the Daniel Jones films, he simplified the game for Daniel Jones. He cut the field in half gave him a deep option and an intermediate route and and gave him a one read option and told him throw to that spot. Now that will work for a period of time. And then you're going to run into a fact that luck kind of runs out, which is why he had a lot of the interceptions and some of the turnovers. And I think that was the brilliance of Shermer. But the only thing is you can't do that for an NFL career. I go back to the old Notre Dame quarterback, Rick Meyer, who, when he went to Seattle, had a good rookie season. And then the league figured out he couldn't go, he couldn't throw to his left. <laughs> so they just stacked everything to the right. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Shermer. You can cut the field in half, but I think it disserviced him a little bit because it, it was not allowing, he's not coming from a powerhouse program in Duke. So it's not allowing him to read the field and scan the field. He's giving them the one option saying, throw it unless it's totally covered, if not check down. And that and we I think saw, is, yeah, that happened a lot this year too. Happened. And yeah, that, and yeah. this year was this year. I have to give uh, Kafka. I gotta laugh a little bit because it was the play action rollout, mm -hmm. and you flare out the tight end, yeah. and if the tight end's not available, you run. And that was against the Texans. That was against the Bears. The Bears figured it out in the second half, and it was funny though because they ran the play like three times in a row once, and then they shut it down. The Texans did the same thing, and I find it. I laughed because of the fact that when Jones went out against the tech excuse me against chicago and tyrod taylor came in before he got injured the giants really never threw the ball deep three plays into tyrod taylor they take a shot to the end zone with a 55 yard pass that got interception got intercepted but they took the shot and i never understood to this day why they didn't do the same thing with jones but they waited for tyrod taylor to come in who's just coming off the bench and do and do something like that i know exactly what you're talking about too and that annoyed me because Literally through about the first 13 weeks through the year, Tyrod Taylor had the longest air yards throw on the Giants. And the guy played for like, what, five snaps? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, like that that should tell you something. Like I get it. And people say, oh, it was intercepted, dumb throw. But like, at least he's trying. Like what, why are they letting Tyrod let it loose and not the guy who is supposed to be the franchise quarterback? That's not, doesn't make sense to me. So, and yeah, I was going to say, like, they do, they did so many of these rollouts this year. I don't know off the top of my head how many of his stats were rollouts and things like that, but I think people don't give Mike Kafka enough credit. I think we saw people say, oh, fire a Kafka at some points. And it was the most ridiculous thing ever. And now the last couple of weeks, it's, oh, I hope he doesn't leave. And, you know, he did come back, luckily, but he doesn't get enough credit. And same thing with Dable. Like, they, 
tailored this offense in such a way to make it easier for the quarterback. And that should not really take anything away from Daniel Jones. But I do think sometimes people will overestimate, oh, he carried us. He carried us. But like at the same time, how responsible was Saquon for the first seven wins of the year? And nobody wants to talk about it, you know? So it's like that part kind of annoys me as well, that like there's different narratives out there of like, who's to thank for the reason the Giants are winning. And you have people that, of course, want to give the quarterback all of the credit when really Saquon was doing it the first seven wins and the coaching staff and the defense holding teams under 20 points. And it's like, why can't we give everybody credit? So that that part doesn't make sense to me. Well, you know, the thing is, they always talk about the game winning drives. And I always oh. and they, and they and they always hate me because I always bring up the fact that in two of the game winning drives, he threw the ball once in the fourth quarter. I have the numbers. I have the numbers. If you he want me to go over, I will. Threw the ball one time, and then that that to me tells you something. And then what he had another game when he completed, I believe, was fourteen passes behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that's uh, you know. Listen, we're not running the Bill Walsh West Coast offense here. You know, we don't have, we don't we don't have Joe Montana or Steve Young or you know. That we that you know I understand that, but you throw the ball 14 times behind the line of scrimmage. I think I could do that and complete seven passes. Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that, not good. <laughs> that tells you the confidence that and and I hate the fact when it was like, well, we don't have any weapons, we don't have an offensive line. And I think with Skip Bayless, it said it best: if you keep complaining about your offensive line and your lack of weapons, then you don't have a quarterback. Yeah. Because there right. have been court, plenty of quarterbacks in the history of this league who have won. With Eli Manning, 2011 had the worst offensive line in the league, and won a Super Bowl. Yeah, and to the point that I, if you re- anyone remembers the 49ers game, he basically had his head turned around sideways, and he kept coming out chucking. Yeah, it, and it, like it's not like he had like these all pro players. I mean, yeah, no. Hakeem Nix was a first round pick, okay, but who the hell was Victor Cruz before that year? Right. Manningham was always a wide receiver three. Who was the tight end that year? Jake Ballard, like. Jake Ballard. Come on. <laughs> yes. I was loving because uh, Troy Aikman used to call him Hank Ballard Hank through, okay. through, through every broadcast. And I used to piss me off. I actually sent him a tweet <laughs> at one point when he was because when he was calling. Him. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the game winning drives, I, I have them written down. So I'll go through them real quick. Yeah. yeah. Really well, here because I, I actually I don't have written down. <laughs> No, because I got in an argument with someone on Twitter who, of course, not Twitter, it was YouTube comments, and they were saying, oh, you give them no credit, the game-winning drives, blah, blah, blah. So I said, you know what? I have time. Let me go through all the game-winning drives and see what he actually did on these drives. Week one, he was three for three for 11 yards and added four rushing yards, so 15 total yards on the game-winning drive. Then you had – he also threw an interception right before that drive too, which was terrible, in the end zone. Week two, that was the Panthers game, he was three for three on that game-winning drive, 15 yards and added three rushing yards. Graham Gano bails them out with a 56-yarder to win the game. Week five, I said on the uh, video I made, he was amazing. That Green Bay game, I give him a lot of credit. It was one of his best games all year. I said that in the video. Week six, which I believe was the Ravens game, that was after the interception by Love, I think it was. He got down to Baltimore's 13-yard line. Daniel Jones, one for two, seven yards, game-winning drive. Awesome stuff. Then the week seven one. He did not complete one pass, and he did, in fairness, rush for four, four, four rushes and 35 yards. I'll give him that. But that just goes to show you, like, people want to make it sound like it's more than it is. But when you look at the context, and the reason that I got mad was because the person in the comments that was mad at me says, I don't use context. I'm like, listen, I will go back and show you exactly what went on in these games. And they still get mad at me. So you can't even come out these people with facts, and they, they still get hurt. So I don't get it. Well, stats, and I always say this, you know, you can make stats say anything. 47% of people will tell you that. 
But the problem is when you use stats and logic to go against a fan who's going with passion, they will sit there and talk about stats until you use it to prove it against them. And then at that point in time, it's just like, oh, I don't, well, you're, you're stupid. <laughs> that's well, usually I, how it goes. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. Because if anyone's ever read my comment section, they they know I, I and I'll give and I'll go back and forward with you. But it's just you can never outdo passion. And, and there's just certain people that don't want. And I've said this before, and you're a lot younger than I am. Um, but I've said this before, the fan base right now in, in a certain segment of the fan base only knows Eli Manning. They only know 16 years of Eli Manning. They only know 16 years of his success. They, they've never been through the Scott Bruners, the Jeff Rutledges, the Ken Grahams, the Danny Cannells. You know, they've, they, they, you know, they've never gone through that desert of quarterbacks because they've only known one quarterback. So they automatically assume when you draft a guy, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. But in this league, you draft a guy there's there is a good chance that he's not good the first guy you draft after you have that all pro guy is probably not going to be the guy he, he's like the rebound girl yeah I think <laughs> a lot of people don't get that you know and people always say i'm a daniel jones hater and i always tell people i'm not a daniel jones hater i'm a daniel jones realist i see what's on the field yep and i compare it to my knowledge of what i've seen since 76 and I sit there and say, okay, it doesn't fit the mold. Something's not right. And then you see the reports now that they may potentially give him 35 million average, um, not 35 million, you know, just, you know, it, it's probably going to be less than the first year and then move forward and through year five, but it's going to have to be a five-year deal mm-hmm. because it's the only way you're going to be able to fit it under the cap, sign Saquon Barkley, get your offensive lineman and hopefully find a linebacker. And also yeah. maybe, maybe a CB2, potentially a safety if, if lovely. He was two guards <laughs> and a partridge and a partridge. <laughs> really gonna, it's really going to depend. But you are going to ha- – the reason and I, and the reason why I've said it a million, million times, they're not going to franchise tag. They're not even going to use the, the non-exclusive franchise tag, which is everyone uses, so he can still go out and negotiate with another team because then that other team will owe us two first-round picks. Mm. And they don't have a fear. I don't think they have a fear of him leaving. I really don't. That's what I've been saying, and people don't want to, you know, hear that. But yeah, no, no. Well, you hear all these other teams, and I worked in the league for four years, and I worked in the AFL, the Arena Football League. I'm not that old that I worked in the American Football League, <laughs> um, and, and I I still talk to people, and and I've I've said this a million times on my streams and other shows that people in the league tell me that the buzz about daniel jones there's a bubble in new york and that's where the buzz is coming from and not many other teams are like hey we got to get this guy we got to get this guy yeah that's what i've been saying like i'm looking at what teams could daniel jones realistically be going to if there was a a bidding war for him this offseason like it it's like less than like four I, i i could think of like maybe washington maybe atlanta but i still don't think so Maybe the Saints, but they want Derek Carr. Like, what other teams out there will be in this bidding war where you have to give Daniel Jones like I'm saying Carolina? Carolina, okay. I listen. I think that'd be stupid by them, but um, we'll see, I, worked out so well. what are you talking about? Yeah, I feel like Darnold might get another shot. I, he wasn't that terrible at the end of the season, but what pick are they? They're they got, seven, they got nine. They got Pete yeah. Walker. They're fine. It's true. That PJ Walker throw versus the Falcons. PJ Walker. That's PJ Walker. I keep telling him. I don't know why. I keep. I almost called him Paul Walker. All right. <laughs> uh, no, but that's the thing. There's not a. 
people are like, well, he'll go on a team where they have playoff aspirations. What is outside? And, and God bless Leonard Williams. Mm. And God bless Leonard Williams because he got paid. I know that's Rob. King of the almost sack. King of the almost sack. He got his money. And I said when he had his big season that, because I actually spoke to someone that worked in his agency, that he wants Aaron Donald money. And people said I was crazy. And then like a couple of weeks later, they said, no, he wants Aaron Donald money. And he got his money. He got paid. But the problem is his money does not equal his production, Mm -hmm. and which is why now we're in trouble. And which is why we had to give him the dead cap number in 2024 so we could get some operational cap space. So the problem is I worry that DJ is going to do the same thing with a five-year contract where year three is probably where the money is going to be. And who is a free agent in year three of his contract? Who are you going to have to pay? Uh, is that Andrew Thomas? That's Andrew Thomas. Yeah. So you're right. going to have to pay, you're going to have to pay your left tackle. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of those things that if Daniel Jones regresses back to what he was, and you have a $40 million cap hit that third year, that's going to limit your ability to sign your free, you know, your, your pro bowl left tackle. And I think of Orlando Brown jr. When he was with the Baltimore, um, when he was with Ravens and he wanted to get paid the left tackle money and then yeah, they traded yeah. him, of course, but he was on a low end rookie deal for like 600,000, but they traded him over to Kansas city and Kansas city almost didn't sign him. Thank goodness they did. But because of the fact that had, they had some other guy, in Kansas City, they had a sign before that, and it's some some quarterback. Uh, I don't know. His name's Pete, I think. I don't know. Some guy won a Super Bowl. Oh. <laughs> so, but it, it it like I said, it could potentially limit your ability to bring in guys that you need and you need to keep. If he and I'm not saying he's going to regress, but if he goes back to what he was or what he probably is, you're going to be paying a large chunk of money to a guy that is below average as an NFL starting quarterback. Yeah, that's I think that's where people like me and you differ from others in the fan base that like call us haters is that they think that if we do get a wide receiver one and in year two in this offense that Daniel Jones makes the Jalen Hurts leap. And like, I don't see that personally. Now it could happen, but I just don't think that's like, because I, I remember Brett Coleman made this great video. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's a great mm-hmm. breakdown of the Giants, like 25 minute video. He's very good with the X's and O's. And he had this great quote. He was saying, whether a top five NFL wide receivers open or a bottom five NFL wide receivers open downfield, if the quarterback doesn't throw it, it's the same result. And he's right. I mean, Daniel Jones has shown us like he's not going to take that many chances. And I know people want to blame the receivers and they, they have a point because our receivers are nothing to write home about. We get it. But at the same time, he has not shown his you know, from his own ability that he's going to change things up. Now, I, I do think Jason Garrett and even Joe Judge kind of messed him up in a way and took away any upside the kid had, which is, is sad, but he just is what he is now. And I, I don't think he'll regress either. I'm with you. I think he could get hurt. That's the one way this could not work out because he did not stay healthy his first three years. But I don't see him going backwards now, but it also might be more stagnant than people are willing to be prepared for in a way so that's the concern i have and then of course we're talking about andrew thomas down the line and dexter lawrence's contract and i think you've said this that like gms are supposed to look five years down the line right and coaches coach for now so just coaches and gms coach for the long i mean long that's how most fans are like they want to look at it right now and say oh we'll give daniel jones five years it's fine we'll spread the money out (laughs) And, and and like i said i never 
I never disparage someone when they don't know the salary cap and they don't understand how it works because it's a difficult thing. I've sat in cap meetings, and of course, this was in the early 2000s, so it's a little different, but there's so many different nuances to the cap. And it was it was interesting the other day. I was I was chatting with someone and I tried to explain to him dead cap space. And I said, just take I said, just take the fact that you have like two hundred million dollars. And, you know, because I was doing easy math and I said, you have a dead cap number of 20. I said, that's like basically taking your 200 down to 180 because that money is now gone. So that's all the money you now have to sign people. And I said, I get concerned when you start getting into that year three, that if he's not the guy and you decide you want to move on, you could have like a $40 million cap, dead cap number, because the way they're probably going to have to work this contract logistically is give him a large signing bonus up front, which still counts against the cap, but then spread the money over the five years and probably guarantee it. Well, guarantee it at least to year three, kind of like they did with Dexter Lawrence, excuse me, with uh, Leonard Williams. And when that happens, you saw what happened with Leonard Williams. They had to give him that dead cap number in 2024, just so we could have money to sign players this year. And I don't expect fans to understand that. I really don't. But I also, you, you kind of want to expect them to understand. And everyone uses Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill. He sucks. Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill. Look at Ryan Tannehill's stats compared to Daniel Jones. Oh if, God, if Ryan Tannehill is average and what he's done the last five seasons in, in, um, in Tennessee and what he did the other five seasons in Miami, and you compare that to Daniel Jones, what does that make Daniel Jones on the scale if he's at if Ryan Tannehill's average? What's Daniel mm-hmm. Jones then? That's a good question. I mean, I'm looking at it now because I know his season in 2020 was insane. In 2020, 65 completion percentage, 3,819 yards, 33 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Yep. Like, that's ridiculous. If Jones did that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, let's pay him whatever he wants. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, 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 I would be 100% fine with that. But that's yeah, what yeah. everyone says is the average. NFL quarterback Kirk uh, Kirk Cousins again everyone blasts Kirk Cousins as the average NFL quarterback who's being overpaid guys like got like seven four thousand yard plus seasons and I think I three or and I think he's got like three seasons with over 30 touchdowns and he's got another one where he's like I think he's got another five over 27 this guy was a third round pick and he does get his team in the playoffs but you know but people always forget Peyton Manning had an issue getting the playoffs for a little bit too and winning some games. So, I mean, yeah. if Kirk Cousins is average, and he's th- I think he threw for over 4,500 yards this year, had the, I think it was the second or third-ranked offense or something. He, he was in the top five. But he's average. So you compare that the last three years of Kirk Cousins' career the last three years of Daniel Jones' career, what does that make Daniel Jones? Yeah, uh, yeah I think I, it's a, lo- a lot about the jersey they wear. I think right. people sometimes get blinded by that. And I've always made this kind of comparison like, oh, if Daniel Jones was on a different team, I don't think half of these people or even more than half would say the same things they say about him. Like, I think sometimes you can be blinded by fandom. And I used to be that way. I think until I really started forming, forming my own opinions, like back when Dave Gettleman came here because I was not a fan of what he was doing. Um, that's when I really started to formulate my own opinions. And I was very much against the Barkley pick and a lot of what um, Gettleman did. And I, I did want Josh Rose and I had my misses here and there, but I did know like, hey, taking a running back there is not what a three and 13 roster needs right now. And it's just not the right investment to make. So ever since that moment, I kind of been forming my own opinions. And then of course the YouTube ca- channel came right after that. And I've developed this reputation of like, oh, like you're a hater and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's, 
better to look realistically at things because I would rather be pleasantly surprised, which is what this season was this past year, than to get your hopes up every single year. No, we're four and 12 again or something like I don't want to have that. So I, I think, you know, I don't there's, there's no fake fans out there. We all invest our time very much into this. You can either look at it, you know, with the, the fan glasses on or be a, a critical thinker type fan. I don't think there's a difference personally. I think the only difference is the way you either present it or the fact the way it's perceived. And I think that is I think that is the biggest issue with channels like yours and channels like mine. It's the perception that you're being negative. And I've always said from the day I started my channel, I am taking the I am I'm, I've taken my fan hat off and I'm stepping back and looking at this team from an outside perspective. Yeah. Not from you know, not, I, like I said, I have I have season tickets. I've had season tickets for years. I've, you know, I went to the 2000 Super Bowl. I went to the 86 Super Bowl. You know, I I have been my my family bleeds blue. My father used to tell me stories about Chuck and Charlie Connolly and Y.A. Tittle and Sam Huff. So you know, those were the best starring stories I got. So I, I am a fan 100. And I hate when people tell me, "Well, you're not a real fan." And it's like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I, I, and it's like, but I'm not a real fan because of the fact that. I'm just having an opinion. I'm just having an honest opinion. And just as we're supposed to accept their opinion as Daniel Jones is the greatest quarterback that's ever been in Giants history, when you have that rebuttal, and I will be, I will admit I get a little, I, I don't know what the word is, but I, I get a little uh, agitated, and I do call them the, the Daniel Jones panty boys because oh, they always wear the Daniel Jones panties on their head because <laughs> they're not seeing anything else. And I mean, right or wrong, I also do it more for an entertainment factor, but I, I, I just wish that in some ways everyone would kind of just respect that everyone can have an opinion. And the fact that you're on YouTube or you're on Twitch or whatever, if you have an opinion, it's just your opinion and it's just entertainment. And that's, yeah. all, and that's all it is at the end of the day. Cause like, you know, cause I've gotten comments that you're just like, oh, yikes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> person's really angry and you know, really, really needs to, you know, maybe check themselves into some kind of facility because <laughs> why would you even write this? And cause it's just a game. Yeah, that's no, true. It, it's, it's just opinions really. Like, I don't know why people get that mad about it. Like, you know, if someone told me as a Nets fan, you know, before he got traded, if someone said to me, Oh, Kevin Durant's not a leader. He sucks. I'd just be like, all right, I'll just laugh at you. Like you if you think you came to the Nets. Uh, yeah. There's, <laughs> but only if you... true, there's only one true team in New York. No, and we're not doing this. And it ain't in, Bro and it ain't in Brooklyn. <laughs> Hey, listen, the, I watched, the team that's one and nine versus the Nets in their last 10 games. Didn't they, didn't they just win? Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah they Ben Simmons for the first time in, like, I don't know, whatever. Listen, True. I go back to the Jersey Nets. I mean, I go back to Buck Williams, Otis Birdsong, Michael Ray Richardson, you know, Daryl yeah. Dawkins. You know, I, I go, I drive in Petrovitz. I go back to those guys. So they're never going to be the Brooklyn Nets. That's Fair. why they're never going to win a championship. <laughs> I miss Jersey, too, so I get it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, with the Jones conversation, I just – like, I'm fine if he's back. I've said that plenty of times. Right. I just don't want this to be the Leonard Williams situation. And I don't think it will be because I, I do trust Joe Shane. I know you feel the same way. I trust Joe Shane. He is nowhere near what Dave Gettleman was. But I, I want Shane to make his own decision. I don't want this to be John Mara influenced, fan base influenced, media influenced. I want you know Joe Shane, Brian Dable, the rest of the front office to come to a just a well thought out agreement to what the Giants should do with the quarterback position. Cause people do act like, Oh, Daniel Jones is irreplaceable. And I'm like, you can find that production elsewhere. I mean, I've, I've sent you the Tyrod Taylor, 2017 mm -hmm. stats. Yes. Daniel Jones was a bit better, but 
you're still getting 85, 90% of what Jones was giving you. Is, is it worth look, paying actually, an extra $20 at, million? Look at Marcus Mariota, what he did yeah. this year in, in Atlanta. And he had even arguably, he had Kyle Pittsburgh who also got hurt, but he had less talent around him than Daniel Jones did. And yeah. he has similar, if not better statistics. But my question is this, let's just be devil's advocates for a second here. It's 20, uh -huh. 2023. Daniel Jones got his contract. Guaranteed, he's got his five-year contract, guaranteed through year three. He gets his wide receiver, let's say, or we get, we get some wide receivers, and Saquon stays. But statistically, he's exactly the same, but the Giants are three game finish the season three games under 500. Is that a, is that a failure, or is that a, still a successful season? Because I think they're going to take a step back next year because the schedule is going to get harder. But how, how then do you rate Daniel Jones? knowing that you have two more seasons left on that minimum on that contract. Well, you know how New York is. They'll turn on him very quickly. I mean, it, it'll go from like, we need him back until like, oh, this guy sucks. Why do we sign it? Like, that's how it's going to be. So I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I do think we kind of overachieved this year and nine, seven and one, I feel like could turn into seven or eight wins next year and you might miss the playoffs. I don't think they'll be a bad team. I, I can't see them being a bad team no. with the coaches they have. It just feels like almost impossible. I shouldn't say that, but it feels tough to have a bad season with these coaches now that they're all back. So yeah, they'll be they'll be fine, but I do fear mediocrity. I would I would much rather be a bottom five team than somewhere in the middle. I don't want to be, you know, because we were talking about Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, and, and Tannehill, those type of quarterbacks. Those guys don't really win anything. Like they're they're nice to have, but do Vikings fans love having Kirk Cousins? I mean, did the Raiders no. fans love? I mean, it's it's just that purgatory. You don't want to be stuck in the middle. And I'm afraid Daniel Jones gets us stuck in the middle for the next, you know, three, four, five years. You you love something until it's gone. And that's mm -hmm. I always go back to Phil Sims. Phil Sims, everyone, everyone you had an opinion about Phil Sims from the moment they drafted him in 79 to the day he retired in 93. And it wasn't until he retired and you then had the Grams and the Canals and the Browns come in. Did the people then realize, you know, we kind of had something for 14 years with this guy. And I, I worry about that as well. And I also worry about the fact that the team started six and one and then went three, seven and one. Yeah. In the, in the latter half of the season, they, if, if we do not, and we, if we're going to be honest, the, like the Jacksonville game, that's a that's an easy loss. One yard away, right? The Washington, the last Washington games. I mean, Holmes mugged him, and then the NFL has to come out the next day and go, "Well, yeah, that was pass interference." <laughs> I mean, there 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 is another opportunity for another loss, and there was a couple games that if we do not make a play, if if someone does not step up, and that is the medal of a team, though, and that shows the head coach. But you're not going to get those plays every yeah. year every week the law of averages says that you are probably going to get less than you did the year before so that's what worries me is that you had if you do not have that six and one start are we even having this daniel jones conversation after they went three seven and one i thought about that i don't think so i i think if they did miss the playoffs this year and they were a seven win team i do think you know especially have a worse record better draft pick I think most people would be on board of saying, all right, it's time to get a new guy. But I think that the whole playoff thing and not having weapons, quote unquote, that really talks people into let's run this back and get better weapons. So that's probably what it'll come down to. Like, I was not convinced Jones would be back until 
Like, I would say like maybe that Colts game when he had the four touchdown game, that's when I was like, all right, he's probably back. Like, I think he's proved like enough to earn himself another year, but it's still not a hundred percent. Like people that act like he's a hundred percent back. You can't really say that. Like there's only a few quarterbacks that are hundred percent back and their names are Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, blah, blah, blah. Not everyone's hundred percent back, especially for a guy who had his fifth year option decline, a new regime. You can't say these things coming off a year where, Let's be honest. He was pretty good. Daniel Jones was not elite. He was not in the MVP conversation. He was pretty good. And, you know, I still think he's back. I'm not going to argue that, but it's just not like 100% guaranteed like some people make it out to be. I think one of the most telling signs was, uh, I can't remember what week it was in the season, that Brian Dable was asked, if you have to throw the ball 30 times, Uh, can you win? And most, I mean, and this this is why I have the man crush on the Dable. And I've said this before. He comes out and says, I don't know. I mean, that's that that is such a brutally honest answer that it should have scared some fans because you the, you, the initial response should have always been, hell yeah, we, we mm-hmm. can. Yeah, we, 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 we can throw 50 times and still win. He said, I don't know. And yeah. I'm like, wow, I was like, that was a great, honest answer. Not what I wanted to hear, but that's an, <laughs> that's an honest answer. But he he's he has that understanding. And that's why, just like you, I have plenty of faith in Dable. I liked the hire when they initi- when they when it came down. I hated the Joe Judge hire. Um, mm. I used, I mean, I, I got blasted because 15 minutes after the press conference, I did a, a video with a BS meter, and I kept saying the B, the bullshit meter's in red with Joe every time he talks because he had <laughs> he has what I always refer to as coach speak, and that's all and that's all he was. And I always tell the telling sign about. Joe Judge was in year two when he was doing the football drill, when he was going the ball drill and rolling in the mud, getting yeah. the ball and showing he was one of the guys. You watch Dalvin Tomlinson, and I pointed this out in the video and I even circled it. Dalvin Tomlinson had the hose. He wasn't shooting Joe Judge, hitting the ball. He wasn't hitting his chest. He was shooting him in the face. <laughs> and then it's kind of strange that next year he's gone. I mean, that, that he's no, he, then he's no longer on the team because of the fact that he wasn't, he wasn't a coach. He was mm-hmm. a guy that was a special teams coach who was put in a position which was not unattainable. But I think Brian Dable understands not only how to coach, but also how to coach men. And I think that's one of the things that he I'm not saying he's Parcellian because Parcellian was the great communicator, maybe not with the press, but with his team. But I do think that he has some tendencies in reference to Parcells in reference to communicating with the guys he has in the locker room which will make him a better a better head coach down the pike because if your players believe in you then there's you know you, you never know what can happen like this year. Yeah. Yeah, the Joe Judge thing, I mean, it was pretty unexpected, I would say, maybe not for you, but like for the rest of our fan base it was like, yeah, he had what were they they were 6 and 10 the year before, they were almost made the playoffs till the Eagles tanked that game, which I thought would have been like it might have been the worst thing for this like, franchise if they made the playoffs that year because that probably buys Joe Judge extra time right. when he didn't yeah. deserve it. So, you know, thank you, Philly, for what you did <laughs> in hindsight. But, um, yeah, it really came out of nowhere. But Joe Judge, he talked himself out of that job. And I don't even know if Joe Judge was the guy they wanted to get that job. I just think he came into the interview and, like, blew them away. And I, I think I may have heard from somebody that they wanted Jim Harbaugh. I'm not exactly sure about that, but that might have been like where they were trying to go. I feel like I heard a voice recording from somebody pretty reliable once. So I don't know exactly if that's the case or not, but I really do think John Mara loves the opinion from Bill Belichick. And when he heard about Joe Judge and you know Belichick's recommendation, he was like, oh, I cannot lose this guy. So we had to take him. And 
as you can see from you know day one from your perspective he was not meant to be a head coach especially for a team like the giants well when when belichick i mean Bel he was one of belichick's favorite sons and i and he was a special teams coordinator the good thing about a special teams coordinator is i will tell you this they speak to the entire team yeah it's not like you're just in the offensive room or the defense room or you're in the position rooms he speaks to the entire team so he's out in front, so he should have a pulse or a better idea, and he was supposed to be this great communicator. But the problem was you could tell when he was talking that it, it just something just wasn't there, and to the point that Belichick gave him the title of offensive assistant that year before so he could get a head coaching job. Yeah. And I think that was kind of – and I laugh because I think to myself, well, is – is Bill still a little upset about what happened then with the nineties with the giants when they went with Ray Hanley and they didn't, and they didn't and they didn't give him the job that maybe he's finally screwing him over 30 years later by giving, <laughs> by giving him this guy's always oh, going to be the next great thing going. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> Ray Hanley. Okay. Over me. Um, so, you know, so I, I do find like I said, Belichick tried to groom him for a job that he wasn't even ready for. Yeah. It's pretty much how even the text message he sent to the wrong Brian that caused the entire Brian Flores situation. Now, yeah, Bill Belichick has not had a good, you know, few year run here with the uh, with the Giants. It has not gone in the right direction. Um, all right. So where are we going next here? Um, do you want to talk about the draft and like what you would like to see in the first round? I think it's pick 25, correct? You know, what's crazy about this draft. It's the Giants need a wide receiver. They need a linebacker. I mean, I know everyone's going to talk about the defensive line, and you need a you need a defensive tackle, but you do have Dexter Lawrence. But Dexter Lawrence is more of a Leonard Williams type to me that he's going to be a penetrator, but at least he finishes plays. But mm -hmm. the problem is, while you do need a wide receiver, the big one of the biggest issues we had last year in reference to stopping the run was the running backs getting into the second level and oh, yeah. no one being there to make the tackle. And I've said this a million times before. You can tell a good middle linebacker. You can easily tell, of course, on the field. But statistically, if you want to look at stats, if your middle linebacker has more solo tackles than assists, then he is a, then he is going at the point of attack. He is making the play at the point of attack and not allowing it to go past the second level. Everyone talks about Tay Crowder, and everyone talks about, you know, I love to hit, you know, the Derrick Henry hit. Look at that hit. Well, first of all, he hit him off to the side. He didn't hit him head on. And Henry even said, you know what, I figured out that I start to need to run a little bit lower. I was running too high that game. But the season before that, everyone wants to talk about his 116 tackles or whatever it was. And I always go back to people and say, why don't you look up that season and tell me how many solo tackles he has in reference to assist. And I saw maybe you're typing. So I was like, well, maybe he's looking that up. So that's why I was, I was pontificating a little bit longer. So you could uh, you could probably look that up for him. I guess. I want to guess. Was it like 40-something, like 45-ish? I, I don't remember, but I remember uh, it was like something like he had like 30 more assists than he did. Okay. And he did solo tackles, which tells me that it's the old stat in the NFL. It's called the pylon stat. Mm -hmm. You just jump on the pile and you automatically get an assist. He's not reaching the point of attack. And that's what happened when the Giants allowed players to get into that second level. When they got rid of Blake uh, Martinez, no one was making that play towards the line of scrimmage. And where they're picking, it's a conundrum because of the fact that are you really, you know, you can find a quality wide receiver anywhere. You can get them in the seventh round. But are you really going to take that pick and go with a wide receiver? that you may not be 100% sure of, that you may be able to get in the second round. And I don't think there's a linebacker 
out of the top 20 that are probably worse or, you know, even, I don't even think in the top 10, I think, you know, I don't think there's a linebacker worth taking at 25 because of the fact that you have so many other needs going back to, you, you need two guards, you know, right away. Technically you do need a center. Yeah. Um, You know, it would be nice to get a, I, I liked, I like Bellinger, but you need a tight end. You mm-hmm. need someone, someone that can catch the ball. But to me is you need at least one outside linebacker, if not two and, two middle linebackers because of the fact that our outside linebackers, our biggest problem was we could never maintain and hold the edge. Yeah. And the way our defensive tackles played, excuse me, our defensive ends played, they had problems setting the edge just as much because you also had rookies playing on those positions that were allowing these, these, these gashes. So it's, it's a weird draft for me because normally I have a guy that I'm like, Oh, this is the guy, but this team is just so for a team that made the playoffs, you shouldn't have to sit there and go, okay, I need two guards, wide receiver, a tight end, potentially a running back. Uh, I'm going to need a CB2, potentially free safety, maybe three linebackers, and two defensive ends that can play the run. Mm-hmm. So it's I, like half of your like half of your 22 starters need to be re- replaced, basically. Like it's not need, a good situation. And I need a punter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, I don't know. What direction? I don't know what. And like I said, that's why I said that's why we just have YouTube channels. I mean, I don't know what direction the Giants should go because there is a plethora of needs, and it's one pick. And how do you prioritize? And I'm going to ask you this question: How do you prioritize? This? You know, you need two interior linemen because you talk about Daniel Jones not having protection. You know, you need a wide receiver because you're saying people, well, not you, but people are saying you don't have any wide receivers. You know you need to stop the run because that was one of the worst parts of your defense. So you know you're going to need a linebacker. You're going to need a defensive end. And you're going to need a CB2 because also you may need a CB1 because you don't know if Adore Jackson is going to renegotiate, excuse me, re- redo his contract to stay with the team. And you don't know what his health is. Yeah. H- how does Mike Too Nice sit there and say, as a giant, I am now the general manager. How do I prioritize with this one pick? And I think we have 11 in the entire draft which direction this team should go. And this is a team that that won nine games and made the playoffs. That's why, like, personally, I'm fine. Like, I know people will hate this take, but I'm okay if you let Jones and Barkley go. I really, like, there's so much to do with this team. You know, it was a fun season, nine wins. But as you just mentioned, like, half of your starters need to be replaced, and you just don't have the money to do it. I mean, if Barkley wants to come back for, like, 12 mil a year, I heard 14 was the number, I would prefer 12, then, like, sure. But, you know, giving your quarterback this amount of money that people are talking about, it doesn't seem responsible with the amount of holes on this roster. And we just talked about how the Giants were really good in one-score games. It was the same thing for Minnesota this year. Those things, they, they always revert back to the mean, and the Giants won't be probably as successful in these one-score tight games next year. That's just how it is. So for me, I would not mind resetting the clock on this franchise and trying to get a new quarterback, whether it's some stopgap dude or like you love somebody in the draft. I know you're not a big uh, Anthony Richardson guy, but I can definitely talk myself into him because I, I trust our coaching staff. Uh, you like Hendon Hooker, right? That's your guy? I, I love Hooker, though, but you don't. You don't get a kind of a, you might be too young, but you don't get a kind of a, a Kiwi Smith feel. Too young. Too young. A, a, okay, because I keep getting this a Kiwi Smith feel out of Oregon. One year, okay stats, big time program. Kind of, kind of actually even reminds me of the way that he plays. 
that and and it's it's just I don't know. It, I, can you take him at twenty five? Well, yeah, what year was the what was his name? Kiwi Smith. Yeah, a key, it's uh, it's uh, what is it? A K I I Smith. Oh, he was with Akiwi Smith. He went with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, oh, okay. It was after it was after the David Klinger uh, fiasco. Okay, but, so <laughs> but like no, my point was going to be like my point was going to be that like the. Uh, the uh, quarterback position has changed so much since that time. You know what I mean? Like now it's, you see so many guys rushing for over 500 yards when you didn't see it as much back then. And Richardson's one of his main, like, you know, one of the main things you would love him for is the use of his legs, which, you know, Daniel Jones had 700 rushing yards himself. So if Richardson gives you 800 rushing yards next year, that's going to help out a lot. And I think a lot about quarterbacks now is like the physical tools they have. And I think Richardson has a lot. Like that's one of the reasons I can never, I never fell in love with Daniel Jones at first. And I called him uh, Kansas city's version of Alex Smith when we drafted him is because like, I just didn't see the, physical tools that other people saw like some people were telling me like oh daniel jones can make all the throws he has all the tools but he's a stiff athlete he's not very twitchy he doesn't make guys miss daniel jones he has a pretty good arm but it's not it's not a rocket so you know i didn't see like those big physical traits that you see from a josh allen or a mahomes and that's the type of quarterback i want and sometimes those guys flop like i think deshaun kaiser is another guy that you can kind of talk about who had a great arm had some mobility like those guys do flop. But the reason I think Richardson's intriguing is because we have the coaches that would bring the best out of him. Like if they were able to make Josh Allen, this big question mark out of Wyoming into what he is now. And Daniel Jones, who, you know, his career was on life support coming into this year into a respectable quarterback. If you get Richardson, I get the footwork sucks. I get the mechanics suck. I get there's inconsistencies everywhere. But, man, that kid can do things physically that other quarterbacks can't do. So that's why if the coaches feel they can coach him up, I can talk myself into it. I I don't have – I mean, like I said, I, I'm the same way. I, I, I am trusting – I am trusting the table. I'm trusting the shame. But, I mean, his mechanics suck. His footwork sucks. <laughs> Beyond that – you know, and he doesn't really read the defenses too well because he only yeah. had 17 touchdowns, <laughs> passing touchdowns, I believe, this year. Uh, so, and and I saw, and like I said, the the reason I fell in love with Hooker was the fact that was the Florida game, because the Florida game was supposed to be the shootout. Mm-hmm. It was it, it was supposed to be these two great quarterbacks going head to head, and the quarterback that I saw that stood above everyone, and yes, he is 25 years old, and yes, blah 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 blah. But he, if the way he looked at that field, the way he read that Florida defense, the way he moved with fluidity in the pocket, his footwork was, and he, while he is not a I would say a running quarterback, he is more of a scrambling quarterback because there is a difference. Yeah, and he, and I think that's what I fall in love with Hooker because of the fact that. Also, I don't mind the fact that he's 25. I don't think he's a Brandon Weeding. I don't a Weeding. I don't think he's as Chris Winky. Wasn't I, Joe I, Burrow like 25 or 24? Maybe like, Joe Burrow's was older coming out. Yes, yeah. because because uh, you know. But and that's the thing. He, physically, he's more mature now, and I think you reach your physical maturity between 24 to 25, where you're not going to keep growing and this is what you are, and you're kind of already grown into your body, especially in the NFL. And even with the ACL. I would still take him. I would do like a Jalen Smith, like Dallas did when he blew out his knee, you know, in the bowl game, you know, take him in the second round. I would take hooker in the second round. Right. And even if you want to get a stopgap quarterback, I, I have no problem with that. 
The only thing I have a problem with Richardson is, yes, there is talent. But even, you know, and I was laughing as you were saying it. Doesn't read the field. Doesn't have good footwork. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of has, he kind of has also to me a little of that Dwayne Haskins feel. And I did not like Dwayne Haskins coming out of college. I got called so many different things because I said, I do think the Giants need to stay far away from him. Because if you watch him throw, I called him a lollipop thrower and it wasn't going to go well in the NFL, especially in the Meadowlands. Because a lollipop thrower to me is a guy that has a nice arcing ball, but it goes up like an it goes up like a lollipop. Yeah. And you get that into the wind and you're not throwing it with enough velocity. Your deep ball is not going to work out very well. And and I, I worried about his ability to read the defenses at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind like I said, I kind of get that feeling. Is Richardson an athlete or is Richardson a quarterback? Oh, he's definitely more athlete right, right now, at least. But I think you can teach that stuff. You know what I mean? Like the physical part, you can't teach. You know, if that makes any sense. No, no. You, what you're saying is you cannot. And that's true. You cannot teach athletic ability. Yeah, yeah. You, right. you can't make you cannot make someone an athlete. You either are an athlete or you're not an athlete. Mm-hmm. And he is yeah. definitely an athlete. But the problem is, can you make an athlete a quarterback? Right. And, and my question is to you. Name me a quarterback who was mainly an athlete over the last 10 years that came into this league and actually excelled as a quarterback. And was he considered like a project or can I like just say Cam Cam Newton or something like, well, well, Cam Newton, Cam Newton was Cam Newton was he, he won a national championship. He, He was definitely going number one overall. He was an athlete, but I don't, he was a number one overall pick to me is not a project. Right. You, know, <laughs> you gotta look at it that way just just and i always tell people just name me one guy well josh allen's my go-to it, it josh allen's your go-to guy yeah but name me and we've already talked about name me another guy though uh am i allowed to say jalen hurts is that like stupid to say um it's like borderline you know that, that's borderline i think jalen hurts i don't think he's much as an athlete as he is a leader and I think, yeah. I think his his I think he gets the most out of his physical talents because of his work ethic and the way he and the system that's around him. I don't think he I don't think I don't I'm not saying he's not a good, you know, uh, you know I don't I don't consider him an athlete like Michael Vick to me is was an athlete who played quarterback. Yeah. You know, I, I say the same things. I always got blasted for Malik Willis because I still like Malik Willis. Malik Willis to me was always an athlete over over him being a quarterback, and I always said he's going to need to like three years before he can even you know before he can, he'll really be he's a project guy because he's an athlete more than he's a quarterback right now. Yeah, that's and, true. And I think that's the only thing. If you are coming off a nine win season, is the fan base going to accept allowing Daniel Jones to go and you're drafting an athlete over a guy that? Because you, 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 and like I said, you have realistic expert. You have realistic expectations of the team, which is great. A lot of people don't. A lot of people is going to say it's going to be fourteen wins next year. <laughs> but you have to be. Re, you have to realistically look at this. And I don't know if I don't know if they would have the. I mean, you know, maybe Shane would have the guts to do it. I mean, I might be talking myself into it. <laughs> well, my question always is like. You play for Super Bowls. Like, are you playing to be average and just be in the conversation? Like, because this is like going back to the Brooklyn Nets. Their owner pisses me off, Joe Sy. It's he, there was a quote that came out about him that said he would rather have a 40 win team that he's proud of 
than rather rather than having superstars that kind of kind of drive them crazy. I'm like, are you playing to win championships or just have a team that's like right around average? Like that's the difference here. If you have bring back Daniel Jones, you're going to be an average team, probably flirt with the playoffs the next few years, blah, blah, blah. But if you take one of these high upside quarterbacks like a Richardson or something else, and he does, it, it hits, you know, or somebody else, whatever. You trade for whoever. I heard Justin Fields is on the block, Lamar Jackson, whoever you want to get. That's making like a big time move to be like, all right, couple more pieces and we're right in the Super Bowl conversation. I don't want to tread water, be average. That's like where I am as a fan because I want to win championships. I don't care about eight, nine, seven wins every year. Like that's it's nice. It's fun in the moment. But then you look at it like, damn, like I want to be where Philly is and the Chiefs and the the Bills and the Bengals. I want to be in that conversation and what the Ravens have had for forever and the Steelers with Roethlisberger. That's what I want. But I feel like a lot of people in this fan base don't exactly feel the same way. And I don't disagree. And, and, and it's, it's almost, it's the Minnesota going back and not not picking on Kirk Cousins. It's it's the Minnesota scenario. You know, you're going to make the playoffs every year, but you know, you're probably going to be one and done. Is that what you want as a fan base? Cause you know, you had Eli Manning, of course, you know, when he won his two Super Bowls, everyone seems to forget, you know, the, the 2006 season, you know, and, and how we, people started turning against him in 2006 and 2007. They only remember him winning the two suit, the two championships, but there was a lot of mediocrity in between those years. And now a lot of it also was because of ownership and Jerry Reese, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, but, you know, but do you want to be in that, in that mediocre act? I mean, if you think about it, like, especially with Eli Manning, Eli Manning had his, some of his best seasons in the latter half of his career where he threw for over 30 touchdowns. He threw for over 4,000 yards, but he was on average teams because he didn't have the talent around him. Yeah. And even Mara said that they wasted a lot of Eli Manning's career. Is that, I mean, is that what we want to your point as a fan though? Do we want to have that, you know, make it to the playoffs every couple of years and miss it for every couple of years and then never see the, never sniff the championship again for another, you know, 20 years. Or do you take a shot? You know, I always say, I always say my channel, you know, you know, be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. Mm -hmm. So maybe sometimes, you know, because Shane and them were bold taking Josh Allen. Do they follow the model of the Buffalo Bills and kind of go that way? I mean, it's um, it's intriguing. Like there, there is, yeah, there's no right, right or wrong way to build an NFL team, but I just think like that is like the, that's how you ha- hit your highest maximum upside if that makes sense or highest potential is like you take those chances like sure you can be a San Francisco 49ers and survive with Jimmy Garoppolo who was one throw away from winning them the Super Bowl in 2019 when he overthrew Emmanuel Sanders but you know it, it, it's tough to get a team I, I've told people this to get a team like the Niners and have that entire roster it's almost impossible. Like it's easier almost to hit on a quarterback than to find a Fred Warner and, uh, you know, Ayuk and Samuel and Kittle and uh, Trent Williams for third and fifth round pick. Like that stuff is very hard to do. And people act like, you know, you can do that pretty easily. It's not that easy. Like you have to have usually a top 10 quarterback wins the Super Bowl. There are outliers. I mean, 2015 Peyton was God awful. I mean, we've seen some outliers, you know, 2000 as well with uh Dilfer, right? I mean, that was bad too, but for the most Dilfer's part, Dilfer is the only quarterback not to be brought back the next season after winning the Super Bowl. And you had really? Brad Johnson. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, Brad Johnson won in Tampa. I mean, you, you've had guys that were average. But if you look at those situations, what did Dilfer have in that 2000 Super Bowl? 
Amazing defense. Amazing. Yeah. Brad Johnson. What did Brad Johnson have when he won in Tampa? I wasn't had, as familiar, but probably a great defense. Yeah, he, he had a great he had <laughs> he had Derek Brooks, he had Warren Sapp all yeah, yeah. their careers. You know, he had John Lynch, he had you know Rondé Barber. He had he had a great defense. So if you're telling me though that we're gonna win with Daniel Jones and you're building this defense, I'm gonna tell you that if I look back in the annals of NFL history in reference to the Super Bowl, not many just average quarterbacks have won the Super Bowl outside of a handful. Yeah, and when they did, there was something spectacular alongside them, or something. Everyone will point to Phil Sims. You know, Phil Sims won the Giants Super Bowl in '86. He set the passing record. This, and they always disparage him. Phil Sims, people forget when he retired, had over thirty-three thousand yards, which was he was in the top fifteen in reference to passing yards, touchdowns, completions when he retired. Mm-hmm. So he actually had a career outside of that Super Bowl. But only fans that are not old enough to remember only know what he did in '86. Right. They don't it wasn't. Wasn't Phil Sims injured sometimes too? He, he well, he, when he got drafted in '79, he was actually runner-up uh, for Rookie of the Year to Otis Anderson. Of course, right. came around the 24th with the Giants. But then he was leading the Giants to the playoffs in '81 and got hurt. Then he got hurt again in '82. He got eight, hurt again in '83. Then he was the first quarterback in New York Giants history to throw for over 4,000 yards in 1984. And then he kind of his career kind of went that way. Right. And then he got benched after 90 for Hosteller, but then he came back and re-resurrected his career. So he had a career arc. Yeah. So he was never really an average quarterback. He was a well above average quarterback who just ran into injuries and some Ray Hanley and some other weird <laughs> back to um because I, I saw a quote, I think it was last week from Howie Roseman, of course, the GM of the Eagles. And you know, he's had this quote, he said. The moves looked like gambles. They paid off big time with a Super Bowl berth. Roseman said Monday that he never fears taking a big swing when the alternative is settling for mediocrity. And like that is exactly what I want. I don't want mediocrity. If you swing and miss and you end up being a crap team because of it, hey, NFL draft, you you've, you know, you get your team back on track in just a few years. But I think it's worth taking those chances. I think treading water is, is the worst thing that a team can do. I don't care what sport. It, I mean, I guess like baseball, you can kind of catch fire and some sports like that. But NBA, NFL, especially like you need to have like top end rosters and for the NBA superstars, for the NFL quarterbacks. If you don't have those, like it's tough. It's very tough. There are outliers, how many, but how many times and I was thinking about this, uh, how many times have the Nets had a, a core of players? That I think a Russian traded for some guys <laughs> that the big three and that didn't work out. And then we had the big three again. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If I don't know if that's a good analogy, especially, no. if you can, especially for that Brooklyn team. That team with Pierce and Garnett was just like not good, but they, the nets with hard and they should have won in 21. They just got the only mortgage the franchise for those guys. I mean, oh yeah. I, Tell I mean, me. That I mean, I'm you know, <laughs> I don't, don't want to get, I don't want to get off the giant talk for a second though, but, I'm a quasi Sixers fan because I go to all the games. I sit courtside a lot because uh, I have season tickets there too. Um, and it's interesting because you have Harden. And, and when Harden to me was with the Nets, I thought some ways he fit. In, he was trying to fit into the system. He was trying to fit into to Kyrie and, and to Kevin and everything else. But it was weird though because he came over to Philadelphia and now he seems like he's the same Harden back like in Houston. Yeah, I mean, you it's you, you guys did something right for a period of time with Harden, 
So I, I got to give credit. I got to give the Nets credit for that. <laughs> well, with Harden, like he had Mike D'Antoni his first year in Brooklyn and then Harden's second year D'Antoni left. Right. And apparently him and Nash had disagreements about how to run the offense. And that was one of the reasons and part of partially of Kyrie's vaccine thing as to why Harden got out. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> not, to get, not to get off topic, but I just. Uh, yeah, no, it makes me sad. Um, all right. Yeah, well, so we you, could a, you could be a Knicks fan, man. No, that's that's not that's oh, mediocrity. You, mediocrity. You, you, could be, you, could be, you could be a Knicks fan, and that could be that could be worse. No, people tell me that, but like we we just ranted on here for twenty minutes about mediocrity. That's not what I want. I'm sorry. At least the Nets take swings; they get my hopes up and they they crush me. But still, <laughs> um, well, I, I gotta say for the Knicks, though, man, the Knicks, you know, they they take swings, but they just always go in the wrong direction. Yeah, seems like. It. <laughs> Um, so you said like usually in the draft, there's a player that you like really gravitate towards. Is there anybody around pick 25 you think that you would be a big fan of? Like I've done some research lately. I have some guys I like, but anyone for you? No, that and like I said, this is the weirdest draft that I've that I've had in the last couple of years for the Giants. Because normally, like I said, I'll have like three or four guys. It's just I I just and thank God, like I said, that we don't have to make this decision because of the fact that there are just so many there's so many holes that need to be filled and some, and they're so interconnected that it's like, what do you prioritize? I would almost wish and hope they took a quarterback because then I don't have to think, well, do you take the guard? Do you take yeah. a wide receiver? Is there a linebacker worthy enough? Do you take the best player available? Because of the fact that not that you're in a position to take the best player available because the only teams that usually are winners, you know, for consistently can do that. But I mean, what what do you prioritize to the point that if you can't keep Daniel Jones upright, it doesn't matter who he's throwing to. And then you can say if you if if you if you keep him upright and the guy doesn't catch the ball, it doesn't make much sense either. You know, you don't you don't know which way you're going to go. But yeah. which way is the most important? Because your offensive line is going to be in tatters next year. Feliciano's gone, Gates is gone, Glowinski is going to be here because he's got that stupid contract. And I understand why they did it, that his, his dead cap number is almost the exact same number as his salary. So he's, he's not going to, he's not going to go anywhere. Um, you, you know, we're, we're not going to sit there and rely on, I, I always call Matt from Connecticut. You know, we're not going to rely on Matt from Connecticut anymore because he's got to be gone. I mean, you got, it, it's just, it, to me, the offensive line, needs to be addressed. And I don't know if you prioritize that over wide receiver, but then I also don't know. Everyone always talks about the Giants have this huge amount of cap space. Huge amount of cap space. We got all the cap space in the freaking world. Third most in the league. Well, we don't have a quarterback signed. Yeah. And we don't have our running back signed. Our best offensive player is not signed either. Yeah. So once you once you sign one or two of those guys, that 44 million, and you'll have more than 44, but not much because you have to remember the top three guys, I believe the top four guys right now on this on this salary on this roster eat up something like 30% of your salary cap. And you're yeah. not gonna be able to move on from you. And Shane has already shown a propensity of not wanting to renegotiate and extend out money. So yeah. once you sign that quarterback, how are you gonna address the offensive line? That's what drives me crazy. I'm not a good salary cap person, I kind of understand dead caps and, and, and stuff like that, but that's the thing. People expect to sign Jones and Barkley for what they want and still put the roster around those guys. Like, how? You have to have the most perfect draft ever to have that happen. Like, what well, do you expect? People tell you, you have 54, 55. Uh, no, it's 54 guys under contract, right? No, 55 now with Hodgins uh, signing. So you have 55 guys under contract. You can have 90 going into the training camp, of course. 
Uh, and then the rule of 51 does not take it into effect in reference to the salary cap. And, to, you know, that takes an effect and does not leave until after you break camp. So you don't need to worry about that, really. And you do need to be underneath the cap before the start of the, the new year in March. But we, the Giants don't have to worry about that. But the problem is you have that $44 million. You are not going to get much else out of the guys you're going to release unless you, re, you renegotiate. Mm-hmm. And once you sign, once you sign Daniel Jones, and that's why they're not going to tag him, because you tag them, it's an automatic thirty-two million dollar cap hold. Right, at a, right. let's say at a, let's say fifty million, so you only have eighteen million then to move forward, and you need eleven to sign your draft class, and so that's leaving you now with seven million. So if and they then, sign if they sign Jones this year for four or five years, what would his cap hit be in the first year? If you had to guess, like what number are we going to they would try to keep it around twenty. Uh. All right. Because, because of the fact that, and you, and here's the thing, though, and I said I have a video coming, out, I think tomorrow, and I talk about this a little bit, but I'll, I'll talk about it now. Everyone's always like, well, you know, Daniel Jones should just take less up that first year. He should just take less. Okay, you're 25 years old. This may be your big contract in the league. And are you really going to take less? I've said this. Be, I've said, and I always ask this. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask Mike too nice this question. Mike too nice is at his job. <laughs> He's doing his job average, if not you know above average. Your boss comes to you and says, we want to give you a raise, but you need to take less. We're not going to give what, you as much raise. What does as that you mean? <laughs> you need to take less money. You need to why I can give you 30, I can give you $30 an hour extra. You only can take 15. And then maybe we'll give you the rest later. Are you going to sit there and say, oh yeah, I'll do that? Knowing my personality, I would, but most people would not. Well, so, no, I, yeah. would, I would. <laughs> hell no, you're going to give me the full $30. Because I know you could give me $30. <laughs> so Daniel right. Jones in the same way, he's a professional athlete. He is a guy that this is his career. So he is going to, and I, I've said this a million times, why I think the Leonard Williams contract was terrible. Why I think the Kenny G contract was terrible. I did not like the Adoree Jackson signing because we were the only team willing to give him a raise after coming off an ACL injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like those contracts, but I understood from a player's perspective, you, your career is only about four and a half years on average. You get the most amount of money you can up front and you get it guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So what's Daniel Jones's benefit? If he believes in himself, if he thinks there's that team out there that is going to give him more money, that why would you take less up front? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, you would think he would hope he would give the Giants a discount, but it's not going to be a, a crazy discount right. if he's getting, yeah, if he's getting $10 million extra elsewhere. I mean, he's, he's gone. So, but my question was from the beginning, what team do you think gives him that contract? Like, do you think Washington really steps in? Like, have we heard any rumors about like, oh, blank team wants Daniel Jones if Giants don't pursue him? Like, I have not heard anything. I have, The only thing I've heard is Washington. That's the only yeah. the only thing I heard. And honestly, you have Heineke there. And He's all right. Heineke yeah. is, you know, and I, I'll use the phrase, Heineke is at an average NFL quarterback who you are paying like an average NFL quarterback. You can you, you've already proven you can you may not you may not Heineke's already taken them to the playoffs. People forget about this. You almost beat Brady. You kinda. almost beat Brady in the playoffs. So yeah. you can you can get to the you may not win, but you can get to the playoffs with Heineke. And you may only have to pay him $5 million. So, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't see, you know, the Saints are looking at Carr. The Saints are $40 million over the cap, so that's going to be a difficult situation. 
Yeah. I don't think I think Carolina's gonna draft their guy. I don't think they're gonna go after someone else's retread. That sounds like an Anthony Richardson spot, Carolina. I could see it. I could see that. I mean, Tampa needs a quarterback, but I mean, do you re- does Tampa really does is it real does the Tampa offense really fit Daniel Jones? Because they even with Brady's advanced age and with the wide receivers they have, they took shots down the field quite extensively. Yeah. I mean, it's where is his landing spot? I I personally think the Giants have leverage. Me too. I've I've been saying that. Yes, I agree. I, I don't know if they're going to drop the hammer and use it because of Mara, but I think I do think they have the leverage over Jones. I think if you're going to do this contract, you have to make it. You have to spread. A lot of times with these contracts, they front load it with the bonus money, so they'll only have like an eight million dollar salary, but they'll have a thirty million dollar bonus. Right. You're gonna, which still counts. Part of, you know, it still partially counts against the cap in certain percentages. So, I mean, you have to keep it. Like I said, you have to make it five years. You got to make it reasonable enough in year one that allows you to keep a retooling because you're not going to hit on all eleven draft picks, and you still need to sign some free agents. So, if you can keep it at that twenty million mark, and then you still turn around and have anywhere between fifty-five to sixty. It leaves you with forty million in salary cap space. I tag I tag Barkley personally because he's it's ten point one. He made eight last year. It's a two million dollar bump in his in his pay. I know he won't be happy about it, but he's twenty five <laughs> years old. I don't care. You had one really good season after coming off another injury. Let's see let's see you do it again, and then I'll give you an Ezekiel Elliott contract, and that allow you to keep everyone and still sign anyone. But the the downfall is we've said it before. You're gonna to have to make it five years. Are you saying you would give him the Zeke contract if he played well? If he play, if he had no, <laughs> I was gonna say I would not do that. No, no. If he had, if he, I would tag him if he had another good season. No, I'd probably let him walk. Yeah, I think you tag. In my opinion, I think you tag him for this upcoming year. Hopefully, he plays well. He'll be 27 that year after that, yeah. and then you just say, "All right, thanks for your services." and yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm a huge Barkley fan. I mean, yeah. I, I have to admit, I I love the pick. I did. I I understand. I understood what you're saying that you don't take a running back at second overall when you have so many other holes. But I thought he was he was a talent that was going to transcend. And he, that first year, it looked really good. And it was just you know, it's going back to the old 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 days. It was it was almost like a Gale Sayers moment where Gale Sayers came in the league, took it by storm, you know, and then got hurt and then was never the same again. So. Yeah. You kind of hope that that wasn't the way Barkley was going, but he came back. He proved he was strong, but running backs you can get in the later rounds and be successful. So, like I said, if I tag him at 10, 10 is a palatable number because of the fact that I'm only going to have him for one year, and then maybe you can work something out for a two-year deal after that, or you just let him go. Well, I was going to ask you this question because I know where I stand on this. Like, Would you rather give – 13 14 million dollars per year to a guy like a Saquon Barkley or a very good center or a very good left guard or right guard. Like I would go with the offensive lineman personally. I would go if if I'm drafting well and I know I've been drafting well over the last couple of years and I can find a running back in the later rounds, I would definitely do that. I would I would use that money to retool the offensive line because if you don't have an offensive line, it's gonna make it a lot more difficult to run or pass. 
It's another reason I hated the pick. I'm like, you don't have the offensive line. <laughs> you know what annoyed me the most about the Barkley pick was Dave Gettleman, because he was basically not taking calls for that pick and openly admitted it. And then you see these like offers come out afterwards of like, oh, the Giants got two first and something else from the Broncos. And Dave Gettleman wouldn't answer the phone. I'm like, how are you a GM and don't answer the phone? Like, I get you wanted the guy, but like, oh, it's just driving me crazy. How yeah, do you no how do you trade your pick and take Kadarius Tony? Well, that too. I was not a Kadarius fan. I will say I was, that. I hate. I mean, if anyone, <laughs> we did a live stream on the draft, and I had some, I had a lot of people on, and it was, it was funny though because, um, you know, a lot of people we had on screen, and and when the pick came in, when they traded the pick, I was like, how the hell you have Parsons sitting right there? Oh yeah. You have you have a he's not LT, but he he could be that next good to great giant linebacker, and you already lost out on Smith. But now you're going to trade the pick and take Kadarius Tony, whose only good season was a COVID season after having three other previous seasons in, at Florida. And I loved it because the the best scouting report for Kadarius Tony was his route running is unique. Mm. And I always said, anytime a scout says it's unique, it means you do not do it very well. Yeah. And that was my biggest concern with him that he was he was going to do that. And that was another thing that that Gettleman's just screwed. You know, he screwed the pooch on that, you know, exponentially. But like I said, I didn't have I actually just like I said, I didn't have a fault with the with the Barkley pick. And maybe it was blinded by what he did at Penn State because I live in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, you know, may, maybe it was that. But like I said, I it was looking good. You know, it was looking, he, it, yeah, he was incredible. Like he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Like there was no doubt about it. That's the yeah. thing. It's, it sucks. Yeah. But like I said, but you can get a running back later in the draft. You know, you can, uh, you can, you can find, um, who is the kid in, um, in uh, Jacksonville? What's his name? Harrison. Um, uh, he, 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 ran, he, he ran, he got traded to the Jets. He had a two, oh, James like, Robinson. James Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, thank yeah. you. He was an undrafted free agent. And I think mm. he had two seasons over a thousand yards in Jacksonville. Have you and seen Isaiah Pacheco on the Chiefs? Seventh round pick, right? I, at Rutgers, yeah, my friends, uh, my friends were hyping him up too. They always hype up Rutgers players, and I'm like, ah, shut up! And like, they finally got one right. So I'm like, all right, you guys are right. We we we, we finally got. Hey, listen, I'm a Rutgers alum. We finally oh, got okay. one right. So <laughs> give give us that after everything that happened with Shiano, you know, mm -hmm. and after he left us, you know, you know, you got you got to give us at least one thing. Exactly. But like I said, you can get you can get that guy later. So I mean, it's. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would rather, to your point, I'd rather rebuild the offensive line or rebuild the the, the linebacking core. Yeah, so um, I'm going to ask you a few more questions, then we'll get out of here because you were right. We definitely went over the 45 minutes, as you expected. But uh, So if you were the guest right now, A, is Daniel Jones a giant next year, yes or no? Ooh, tough. Well, the question is, do you want my fan answer? Or no, 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 I want my I think I know your fan answer. I mean, we could do both if you want, but I want like what you actually think is going to happen. I do think he's going to be back next year. Okay. And what's the fan I, answer? The fan answer is hell no. <laughs> I, I don't want him back next year. I, I've sat through too many games with Daniel Jones, but I am concerned. I, like I said, I trust Shane. I trust Dable. I don't trust Mara. I Mara. That the Eli Manning contract, that last contract, that ninety plus million dollar contract, hamstring this team, and yeah. it was at a point where Eli needed to go. I remember it was uh, three years before he retired. He played that last game against Washington on New Year's Eve, 
and oh, it was terrible. Yeah, I remember that game because I was I stood on the sideline that entire game. It was like negative twenty. I put I've put pictures on Twitter all the time about it, and I have the face mask on and everything else. It was negative twenty degrees, and we all stayed because we all were under the assumption that was Eli Manning's last game as a Giant. It should have been. Norlings Darkwall runs the ball yeah. for over yards. The Giants win the game. He's on the field, and we all were staying there because we figured this was it. But then we got another couple. You had another couple. Two more, two more. Two more years. years, and then we kind of see where it went. So, so I worry that Mara could potentially override Shane. And I know he didn't do it with the Dable pick, because I I know people were worried that he was not going to allow him to pick his head coach. He got his guy in Dable. Yeah, I still worry that he's got that Eli Manning Merida's connection with Daniel Jones, and and I think sometimes Mara acts more as a fan and mm-hmm. likes to hold on to players that he likes and gets rid of guys like Odell that he doesn't like, even though it's going to wreck the salary cap. So <laughs> that can that concerns me greatly. Yes, that was actually one of my first concrete takes when I made the YouTube channel was Eli Manning like needs to go. It's been too long. And I think I was saying this in, since 2017, because you like even though they won 11 games in 16, you can see the Eli decline happening. Right. right? 2015 was his last like really good year. I think he had 35 passing touchdowns. Then 2016, great defense. He signed OV Jenkins and, and snacks and you had a great defense that carried you. And then 2017, yeah, it's kind of like you can blame the weapons because they all got hurt. Odell snaps his ankle. Brandon Marshall, same game, out for the year. I think Sterling Shepard missed half the year. You can blame the weapons, but you can tell Eli just did not have it anymore. He did not want to take hits, and he was just not the same guy he once was. And, you know, Gettleman comes in, and whether that was John Merritt-induced or whether it wasn't, which I kind of think it was, they decided to just kind of go all in for 2018 which did set the Giants back, and John Mara later admitted that. And Mara did say, I think Jordan Ronan asked him, asked him the question like two years ago, like, did you force the Giants, or did you force Dave Gettleman to keep Eli Manning? And John Mara denied it and said, that's crazy, I wouldn't do that. But like, I think he did. I think he was lying there. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it, was, it was owner speak. Mm-hmm. I, I think he didn't. I think, like I said, I think he thought like Eli Manning was like a son. You know, Tim, and and I think it was just hard for him to let go of the past. I I, I always think about Wellington Mara, his you know his father, his father. You know, and Wellington knew at one Wellington after, and this is going to be the last old timer story I'm going to tell. <laughs> Wellington after the miracle in the Meadowlands, where Joe Pasarczyk fumbled and Herm Edwards ran it in for the touchdown. That was the lowest point that the Giants had ever had, and Wellington Mara was a very hands-on owner. He was almost Jerry Jones-esque up to that point. And the story goes that, and a lot of people have gotten the story wrong, that the giant that the NFL made the Giants hire George Young. Yeah. But they didn't. And that's the thing, because George Young talks about this in his book, and a couple other people do too, that, that Wellington then turned over the reins and said to Pete Rozelle, is there a young executive I can hire that can come in and run this organization? And I'm hoping that John is taking that a little bit that from Wellington and understands, you know what, let me step back. It sucks, but let me step back and let my football guys make these decisions because maybe I'm influenced a little bit out of personal loyalty to some of these guys. And that's kind of what I'm hoping. I, I, I got my fingers crossed. 
That's exactly. I wrote a letter to John Mara last year, probably last November, saying that exact thing. I'm like, you need to get outside people in this organization. Like what you have been doing here and trying to promote these in-house guys, because it, it really felt like, and it's scary as hell to think this, that if Joe Judge didn't talk himself out of the job, it was going to be Joe Judge as the head coach and then Kevin Abrams as GM. Like that's the direction that I think he wanted to go. And I'm not taking credit, but like, thank God it did not go that way. Cause I love the, the way that we have gone from that possibility to much, much better with Joe Shane, Brian Dable. So, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm so happy you went that way. And I, I hope you're right. I hope that John Mara and like Mara's a good owner. I don't want to say he's not like, he definitely <laughs> cares. I appreciate John Mara, but like he can't make the decisions about the football team. Cause but it see, just doesn't go that's well. The thing though, I think, and, and that is sometimes to your detriment, he cares. Yeah. And I think he, and it's not that he doesn't care about the fans. I think he cares about the guys that he drafts guys that come in through the organization guys that you know it's it's difficult to make when phil sims got released back in 93 it was time and phil sims came back off a great season under one one of his best seasons that he had under dan reeves his entire career and they the giants let him go because of the fact that he was i think 37 or 38 at that point it was time to move on it was time to move on from lawrence taylor i remember lawrence taylor's first game i remember his last game his last two years, it was time to move on. And the Giants, and the Giants going back to, like I said, to George Young and Wellington understood that you reach a point. And these are guys that were legends in giant uniforms, that it's time to move. Harry Carson, it was time to move on. It's time to make that step. And I hope that that John is now reaching that point in his understanding. This guy may be you, you're you're a giant for life. I love you and I understand that, but I got to replace you mm -hmm. because yeah. the goal of every franchise is to get those trophies that are behind me. And that's what John wants. Ultimately. I just don't think he does. He doesn't know how to get it. That's his problem. But hopefully now he hired the guys that know how to get there. So that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> Finger crossed. Yeah. Um, all right. So, I mean, that's pretty much going to close it out. Once again, if you guys enjoyed me and Tim, will definitely get back together in the future, but Tim, I appreciate you coming on. It's been long overdue. It's been a rough couple weeks here. I was trying to set this up earlier, but then the Nets traded their whole team and that other Nets podcast was busy for me. So thank you for coming on, you know, kind of late notice in a way. But yeah, appreciate it. Well, like I said, I appreciate coming on and I appreciate it. anytime I get an opportunity to speak Giants. And, you know, like I said, it's it's 2023. You got to hope it's the right direction. And we just have to hope that um, that they 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 roll the dice and they come up sevens like they did last year. Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. And